across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hotcakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Flavour, seeking out interesting food and drink stories from across the city and broadcasting them here on Cambridge 105 Radio's fortnightly food and drink programme. We're live in the studio, unless you're listening to one of our podcasts or the repeats. I am Matt Bentman, and sitting across from me is Dr Sue Bailey, food science and food history consultant, writer and lecturer. So, what's on the menu today, Sue? We start the day with coffee, as the Radmore Farm Shop remodels itself to add a coffee bar. After a mug of that, it's time for a trip to the fields with Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, with garlic and leeks being the flavour of the month. There's an Italian deli on Chesterton Road that's been overdue a visit from us. Matt <laughs> checks that one out. And Meadows, the cheesemonger, kitchen and bottle shop with branches in Newnham and now Mill Road, talk about what we can expect from them over the coming months. And of course, we'll be deliciously filling the programme with local food news, jobs and messages from social media. So, let's begin with Ben Aveling. Ben runs the Radmore Farm Shop on Victoria Avenue and he's been on the food scene for roughly a decade now, perhaps longer actually. He's always keen to reinvent parts of his business and his latest venture is coffee. And when all the cakes sold in the Radmore Farm Shop are homemade by his wife on their farm, what better than to have some coffee to go with it? Here's Ben. Before Covid, we wanted to start bringing coffee to the shop because it's a passion of mine. It's something I've loved. Okay. And I'm one of those weirdos that has it delivered to my house every week. Yeah. What's really popular in our shop, as you can see, is all of Vicky's cakes. Yeah. So the idea mainly was to go more down her cake route because it's something we can make that's really, really unique mm. because you can only buy Vicky's cakes one place. That's something we liked. We wanted to highlight the things that are best from the farm. So all of our quality meats, we've still got as usual, all from the farm. I still do all the butchery, the pork, the lamb and the goats, all still ours. We still make all the ham every week. I make all the bacon, it's all still mine. And we've upped Vicky's cake range. And then I thought to myself, well, why couldn't we specialize in single origin coffees? Because there's a lot of cafes that are great out there, but not a lot of them are about specifically the coffee element. A single origin <laughs> from our farm is the same as a single origin coffee from the places that we've been dealing with. So the idea was to get all your proper Radmore essentials that come from our farm and the coffee element, which is more of a passion project, to really hold the hand of Vicky's cake range with the trays that she does, so like the brownies we've got, she's got millionaire shortbread, we've got cookies, blondies, which is like a white chocolate cranberry, and we've got the patishaw brownies, which are a, a rye starter and tahini mix. It's amazing. Because we make it all ourselves, they're not obscene prices. I mean, you could go to a Starbucks and it'll be more than that. Yeah. So you know it's not the same quality, the same sustainability, the ethos, and everything been put into it to make it right. So we're trying to sort of be like a reasonable price for the best quality, it's, that's the, the goal. Yeah, yeah. 
we've got silver oak coffee here. Now they're at Ely. These are all whole beans that we stock from them, so you grind them yourself. I also want to get them on as a guest grind. That's something I want to do on the coffee machine when we serve you a coffee. Something that's really useful for us as a business is it's very hard for everyone to know everything about every single bean. So when they come with all the information, not only the back office, if you wish, and on the bag, it makes a huge difference to the customer because you can make your own mind up. So they're a company we wanted to deal with at Ely, but I think, I think they're relatively new. We also stock in the Has Been, which is more my influence. They do a lot of direct sourcing and single origin coffees, as well as do the Silver Oaks. I quite like the fact that you can get coffee like you get things from our farm. Like you know exactly where it comes from. If pushed, you can find out every detail, and that's brilliant. But there's a lot of that going on in coffees these days. Some people might say, well, what, what makes it unique? And that's a fair comment. There's a lot that makes it unique when you drink it. There are a lot of good single origin coffees around and I wish to get through loads of them here. That's something we would like to do, you know, get that variety in, get guest coffees. The, the, the idea is to nurture that and to go further where we could do evenings where we'd all taste coffee. So there has been a, actually do a lot of what they call cupping events. I was thinking about sort of introducing a few of those. That's also a really good way to sort of get into a new coffee. So if a, a Silver Oak do some samples of that one we can do that as your guest and it's kind of highlighting why it's great and everything we buy should be like this yeah you know yeah. and it's sort of that's what i love about it and you don't need to be a coffee geek to enjoy decent coffee you don't have to identify flavors you don't have to really know everything about it so that's why i've selected these ones to start the new cafe with there's a small selection to start with but we want to keep it fresh on the farm, we've got a glamping site, a wooden lodge. You know, it's off-road, you have to walk to it. Mm. It's like a little hobbit house. It's been surprisingly successful in this current market. And we're like, hold on a minute, people pay for experiences because there's value in experiences. So for us, we were like, Do you know what? Well, let's make the shop more of an experience. Has there had to be any compromise in order to make way for this? Well, yeah, that's been the most difficult thing because we've actually looked at the cold hard numbers and gone, well, what sells and what doesn't? And we've had to take quite bold measures on things like less and less vegetables. And that was, that was something that we've noticed a marked difference in sales-wise. So we looked at the numbers and we were, you know, feeding plenty of them to our pigs because, <laughs> you know, it's spoiled and you've got to have such a massive range to have a decent range mm. daily for customers that it was getting to the stage where we were like, do you know what, we're offering a service here more than we're actually, and it's not the end of it because we still do veg boxes and deliveries and we can order vegetables, that's not changed. But coming in and buying vegetables off the shelves is something we've, probably the boldest thing we've took a turn on. You're just having to change all the time. Yes, yeah. All the time. You've got to see what works and what doesn't. I've done some things in my time, but giving half your shop away to cake and coffee was probably the biggest one for the shop yet. Nothing, it doesn't change what we're about. Yeah. <laughs> That's the main thing. And we're looking forward to people coming in and tasting that. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Ben. It's thank been you. Uh, very interesting nice. seeing the change around. Yeah, Always. Good. And thanks for coming. Sorry I was late. Standard. <laughs> I'm always, always late. <laughs> always at an hour, so I'm terrible for it. <laughs> yeah, that was Ben Aveling of the Radmore Farm Shop on Victoria Avenue. 
Now, Ben and his wife, Vicky, they make all the cakes, and you'll find them in the counter at the Radmore. They make their living from almost everything they produce on their farm and sell it at their shop. And you can find out much more about them on their website. It's radmorefarmshop.co.uk. And you can follow them on social media, too. On Twitter, they are radmore underscore farm. And on Instagram, this is all one word, radmorefarmshop. And I found this little snippet as well. Uh, this is a coffee vox pop that we did a few years ago that seemed appropriate here. It was recorded by Ruth Race, who used to be on the programme. This is Cambridge people's favourite types of coffee. What kind of coffee do you like? Flat white coffee. Any reason why? Just like the taste of it. It's nice and strong. Not flat white, it's black. Iced coffee with this square there. <laughs> latte? Latte? Yeah. Any reason why latte? Mm, I like my coffee with milk and sugar. Okay. <laughs> as long as it smells of good coffee. Just a regular coffee with the milk and sugar. Do you have an opinion on coffee? Yeah, I like flat white. Uh, I usually go for um, something fairly strong. Um, I, I like the, the espresso coffees. You're about to order some coffee? I'm kind of about to for my friends, but yeah. I work in a coffee shop, but I can't stand the taste of coffee. Yes. I love the smell, absolutely love it, adore yeah. it. Yeah, I just can't I can't get the taste in. I'm a big tea drinker, I love it, but I'll pass you over to my friend Alan, who's a big coffee drinker. Coffee yes, drinker. yes, that is true, yeah. So I'm uh, going to try some uh, iced coffee today because of the sweltering heat, so I may get an iced, iced latte or just an iced white coffee or something like that. It's all good. good. Yeah, what do you normally drink when it's this hot? Uh, probably just, just a large latte, maybe with a um, hazelnut shop in it, something like that. Duncan, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, how long have you guys been doing...? But I've only been here this year, but Ben, the owner, has run a coffee stall on a cafe mobile here for about 15 years. Used to be all week, now it's just the long weekend, but he's been here ever-present, summer, winter, 15 yeah. years, long wow. time. That is a long time. I am gathering what kind of coffee people of Cambridge like. What have you noticed? I have noticed all the usuals, clearly, cappuccino, americano, latte, but then in the summer, a lot of iced coffees, in the, in the sun, sorry. Yeah. And then, so today, a lot of iced coffees. And then in the rain, two weeks ago, a lot of mochas, a lot of hot chocolates and brownies. Lots of chocolate in the bad weather, ice <laughs> in the good weather. Fair enough. What's your favourite? Latte. Latte? It's always a latte. Why? I don't know why, because I think I like... I think, I honestly, think espresso's too strong for me and I like hot milk. A little child. <laughs> Nice. Latte, if it's been a really bad night, then just the double espresso, but generally latte. Is it, does it get really busy on the weekends? Here, yeah, yeah, it gets really busy, especially now in the tourist season. Yeah. Very busy. So 8 till 5 today, pretty much constant queue, which is good and healthy. <laughs> Wears you out, but it's good. It's fun. <laughs> Now, details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, which exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, and Olio tweeted yesterday to say that, you know, since the launch of their app just a few years ago, between them and Tesco, they reckon they have saved 30 million meals from going to waste. That's good, isn't it? Amazing. And doing their bit today for Olio are Cambridge's Olio members. And I can see that with a quick look at the app, Russell on Coleridge Road has bags of mixed pastries to give away, including cinnamon swirls, vanilla crowns, chocolate twists and iced donuts. He's also got some tiger baguettes, Warburton's muffins, and a loaf of hovis going spare too. 
Now, Marie in Great Shelford has two pots of organic, perfect pumpkin baby food. Suitable for babies six months or above. So, if you are a six-month-old baby listening in right now and you've got a hankering for some pumpkin baby food, then give your parent or legal guardian a quick nudge. Our Hope near the Elizabeth Way Bridge is hoping you'll come and collect her bottle of unopened tangy garlic sauce. And finally, Nick in Arbury. He is giving away a barbecued pulled pork pot noodle. It's unopened, uneaten, unloved, in date. Might make a funny or terrible Valentine's statement, but uh, that's a few of the things that are available here in Cambridge on the Oleo app today. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. OK, let's move on to our first news briefing of the day. And on the 1st of March, at Finboy's Fish Butchery in Mill Road, there is a Loire wine dinner. It's hosted by Hal Wilson of the Cambridge Wine Merchants. There's five courses and five wines. The cost is £65 and you can book online. One Two Culinary Stew is the popular food blog run by Pina Broccoli and I, who is an occasional guest on the Friday Food Club on Cambridge 105 Radio. And Pina is bringing a pop-up of South African food to Signorelli's in Burley Street. Cooked by Now Now Chow, the evening will include gentle Cape Malay dishes and hot Durban chicken curry. Booking for this is essential, and you do that via One Two Culinary Stew's Instagram link. The cost is £37 per person, and that's on the 2nd of March at 6.30pm. News from Corinne Payet of Gourmandise. On the 10th of March at Market House, Corinne will be running a shoe pastry baking class. Whilst on the 11th of March at her home in Cottenham, she will be hosting another of her popular Tastes of Reunion evenings, Le Bistro Clandestine. The meal includes an exotic starter, a traditional curry served with rice, beans and rafai, I believe it's pronounced, and a very exotic dessert. You can book via Corinne's Instagram account. Starting Sunday 12th, Mercado Central will be opening on Sundays. There'll be lunches on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays, with dinners every day except Sunday and Monday. Bushel Box Farm Shop has single-variety apple juices, all pressed from their own apples. They include Fuji, Crispin, Jonagold and Katie apples. The Cambridge Chocolate Festival, Cam's Choco Fest, is on right now, if you're listening to us live on Saturday. And it's at the Union Society's debating chamber of Bridge Street, behind the Round Church. And it continues on Sunday. Yum! There's chocolate demonstrations and plenty of stalls. And congratulations to Pimp My Fish, who are in the final three of the National Fish and Chip Awards mobile category. The winner will be announced on the 28th of February. Now, there's an article in Cambridge News Online. It was published just a few days ago. The top 10 best restaurants in Cambridge, according to reviews on TripAdvisor. Now, number one was Limoncello on Mill Road. Owner Luke Taylor, who just took over as owner-manager last year, he must be pretty pleased about that. Some other notables include Restaurant 22, they came in third. Amelie Flomkoosh, they're in sixth place. And one of your favourites, Sue, Tower Kitchen, they, they came in tenth. They've all featured on flavour in the past, and you can find all of them in our podcast section or your podcast catcher of choice. And there's, uh, well, there are a few interesting major omissions from this list, but this is a list according to TripAdvisor. Take that what you will. More news later. 
Now, in our last programme, we announced that Meadows of Eltersley Avenue is opening a new shop this month in Mill Road on the corner of Ross Street. Meadows has established quite a reputation since it opened three years ago, not least for its takeaway lunches and cheeses. But there is more too, as owner Susanna Watson explained to Alan. I like to think that we're buying world-class produce, particularly the veg that we bring in from Italy. The local veg that we buy from Flourish, for example, is supplying top restaurants in London, as is the veg that we buy from La Serrana. Um, I read a chapter in a book once by a chef from New York, a lady called Gabrielle Hamilton, who has a restaurant there called Prune. And she had a whole chapter about falling in love with an Italian man and discovering um, aubergines from Sorrento. And (laughs) so we are selling those aubergines in the shop in Newnham. The locals know about how good they are and we put them in our salads. Um, But that's just one example of the ingredients that we seek out and that we're really proud of in the shop. And you can taste the difference. And what I'm hoping is that that USP, just being able to taste the difference, um, will really bring something to the new shop in Mill Road. Is there space for people to eat indoors or to have coffee indoors? We are going to take it step by step. Um, So there's a space outside the front of the new shop, which was the bed centre. So there was lots of parking out front originally. The new building there has a a smaller space out front. However, there will be some seating. So we'll probably start doing um, meals to sit down outside over the warmer months coming up. We can look forward to those. And then towards the end of the summer and the autumn, we'll introduce seating inside as well. Um, And we're hoping to do lots of pop-ups, inviting guest chefs from around Cambridge to do events and supper clubs, etc. But we'll also do tastings and talks and workshops. Not all at once. (laughs) We do need to take it one step at a time. But these are things that we've been slightly limited by our space in Newnham. Um, And we've, we've felt that we haven't been able to do enough of these things over the last three years that we've been trading. Um, And we're really looking forward to doing more of in the new space. And since recording that piece, Meadows have had a slight delay. They are now likely to be fully open around the 22nd or 23rd of February. Next up is Steve Thompson, otherwise known as the Foraging Chef. Steve is a regular voice on flavour and for several years now, he's been advising the best things to forage for every month in the fields of Cambridge. Golly, it's cold in February. So Steve, how's this affecting all the plants that you want to forage? Yeah, to be honest, we're getting roughly what we expect at this time of year now for the plants, which is quite nice. Uh, We're still waiting on quite a few of the alliums to come out, so keep an eye on your wild garlic patches, your three-cornered garlic, your flad leeks. I've found some crow's garlic that's just starting to come through now, so that's kind of the first of the alliums at the moment around here, but lots of other areas of the country are finding the others, so keep an eye on those. So all these different types of garlics and leeks you've been mentioning, what do they look like and how different are the tastes? Tastes are 
all fairly similar, just varying levels of sweetness and varying levels of kind of sickliness and full-on garlickiness. They're the main four that we get around Cambridge, really, in the world. So wild garlic, three-cornered leeks, few of loud leeks, crow's garlic. They're all pretty simple to identify because they stink of garlic, <laughs> to be entirely honest. That's fair enough. So you have to get sniff them. Yeah, have a good smell, things like that. There's certain ones to be careful of because you think with alliums, the oil will stay on your hands. So you can, if you're picking in close proximity, say wild garlic, for instance, at this time of year, will have aromaticulatum growing next to it, which is covered in little oxalate crystals. So you really want to get to know that plant. So with wild garlic, if you're picking it, familiarise yourself with what roughly it should look like. But then the best way to tell the difference between wild garlic, so the allium ursium, and aromaticulatum is to turn the leaves over. So have a look on the back of the wild garlic and the veins on that should run from head to toe, straight lines. Whereas on the aromaticulatum, they're scatter. So it looks like kind of smashed ice. It's also a much noticeably lighter colour on the back of the Allium ursium than it is on the front of the leaf. Oh, that's interesting because I remember when I went on one of your foraging tours and we were near the camp and, yeah, it was quite interesting seeing the, the marked difference. But when the leaves are small, is it more tricky? Yeah, that's the real time. Once the leaves get big and mature, then realistically they're quite different. When they first come through, both of them kind of curl up through the soil. So it kind of hides away some of the more distinguishing features you get on the aromaticulatum at the base of the leaf to differentiate it. So it's, yeah, it's much more worth kind of have a smell, make sure like that, but then also just check the back of wild garlic leaves while you're doing that. Does the arum have a smell as well? Not not particularly stand out, certainly not when you're picking it next to wild garlic. But as you said, it's the oxalate crystals that are not nice. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to have a munch down on that. That's gonna cause you quite a bit of pain. Whereas the other alliums in that group all kind of look quite different, so you're gonna maybe misidentify them for grasses or something like that. So or say for instance you might misidentify crow's garlic as chives. But yeah. crow's garlic mm-hmm. is much more pronounced, it's much more stand upish, whereas chives kind of flop a bit more. They're all quite easy to identify and they're all starting to come through at this time of year. Anything else we should be looking at in the foraging herbs front? Yeah, so all of our spring herbs are really starting to come through now. So another cracker at this time of year is uh, Alexander's. They're really starting to get, they're starting to bush out now. So you can get a really good yield off them, but they're still nice, supple, really soft. But at this stage, we can just fry them off in butter, a bit of chilli and garlic, things like that. And it's a really nice little vegetable chuck them in omelettes and things like that for nice easy home use we also preserve them in oils ferment them down once they start to get a little bit taller the plants the leaves get more leathery almost and then that's when we start to dry them out and use them as a pot herb and any other ones yeah so another one that we all know at the moment is uh, sticky weed of course or cleavers or gallium aparine is its name and that's really starting to come out now and at this stage it's kind of like it's pea stage so oh, almost really, like a pea shoot. Yeah, when they're really small like that, then the uh, hooks on them haven't developed enough yet to mean that you need to cook them or anything like that. So they're a really nice little fresh pea snack when you're just walking through the woods and stuff like that. And they're pretty easy to identify, I think. I think we all know what they are from. Yeah, so little things like that, like chickweeds, hairy bittercress, which is a lovely little mustardy plant. Just getting out and having a look at all those, really. They're starting to grow in a lot, especially as we haven't done the weeding in our gardens, say, for instance, over winter great time to just go out and have a look at the weeds in your garden and eat the weeds exactly eating the weeds is the best place to start because it means mm-hmm. we don't have to take time out of our day to do something really we can just nip out have a look in the garden and a lot of these plants will be growing around your garden you'll be surprised how much you have oh that's a very clever idea I like that and what about things that are happening with you at the moment in terms of foraging trips are they starting up soon 
Yes, yeah, so we'll get the tours starting hopefully before the end of February. So keep an eye on our social medias, search the Foraging Chef. Yeah, we should have some dates announced for some foraging tours in Cambridge soon. We might branch out to maybe doing a midweek one as well, like during school time for people like that. I'm not sure yet. The other thing we've got is a pop-up coming up on the 5th of March. Oh, that sounds fun. Where's that? Yeah, so that's going to be another one in our Bar Hill venue. So we do it at the Cambridge Bar Hill Hotel in Bar Hill. And yeah, 5th of March, five-course tasting menu, £50 a head. And all the information, again, is on our social medias with the menus. Mm. But it should be really fun. That sounds very reasonable. And it's not all vegetarian, is it? No, so we have a meaty menu and we have a vegan menu. And you tell us what you want, basically. Nice and simple. You can have meaty, vegan all heavily forage-based, all really sustainable, all zero-waste cooking. We can't afford not to with the prices these days. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a brilliant idea. I like the zero-waste focus. And you've been doing some pop-ups at Amphora as well, haven't you? Yeah, we've done some lovely little collabs at the uh, sort of end of last year, and we've got another one coming up on the 12th. So keep an eye on there. Give them a shout if you're interested in tickets, and uh, they all sort all that out. But they're really good fun. Five courses, normally 10 or 11 drinks to go with it it's really good night oh yes and amphora is a lovely wine bar it's really fun oh yeah cozy and friendly yeah oh if you haven't been down there you've got to check it out it's absolutely stunning it's brilliant i mean i call it a wine bar but it's a sort of wine emporium i'd call it more than anything else how would you describe it (sighs) i mean she puts on loads of stuff down there but her kind of the way she deals with flavors and wines is really interesting it's it's full on and it's exactly what we kind of have with our food is things should taste of what they should taste of and it's it's interesting and different and fun so it's worth getting down there it's a little less running a mill than a lot of other places around oh very much so no it's great oh well thank you so much steve and it may be cold outside but it's still sunny so get out there and forage (laughs) exactly that (laughs) garlic, three-cornered leeks, crow's garlic, few-flowered leeks and sticky weed. Well, many thanks to Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Yeah, good to hear about his foraging tours starting up again. You went on a few of those, didn't you? I Indeed I have. One around Grantchester Meadows. That was really fascinating. I hope to have done a mushroom one, but the mushrooms weren't playing, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound of the way you recorded those, you know, with all of the, the wildlife in the background and I could hear the people around around you like where they were positioned in space around you it was really good yeah no thank you and <laughs> lots of interesting questions it was really fun food wise uh, uh well uh, 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 to err is human <laughs> <laughs> so we um oh sorry again sorry <laughs> um um but good food is divine um, um, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so listen to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. We'll put the heating on as well. We've got, yes, <laughs> we've got nice fairy lights. <laughs> well, some more news now. And the council is always looking for ways to reduce its emissions and improve sustainability. One way had been promoting food with a lower climate impact such as removing beef and lamb from their civic events in favour of plant-based catering. At last year's Remembrance Civic event, they made half the food plant-based. However, a Cambridge News article reported that less than 10% of attendees tried these plant-based options, whilst the veggie and meat dairy options were all eaten, resulting in significant food waste. Mm, Now, we weren't there. 
But there could have been plenty of reasons why the plant-based food wasn't that successful. Maybe it's the way it was presented. Maybe the options were limited. Maybe the other food was more front and centre. It's going to take perhaps a lot longer to convert the average person over to plant-based options. Perhaps taste and texture is still an issue for many people. Just talking from experience, I know that I live in a shared house, for example, and recent tenants who've moved in, I've just noticed that what they purchase, they're buying a lot more plant-based products these days. Things like pork and chicken plant-based substitutes, plant-based pizza toppings. Sue, do you go in for plant-based foods at all, or you still have a quite a lot of red or white meat on your menu per week? On the whole, very little red or white meat. Game and fish are mainly the things that we tend to eat, and a fair amount of vegetable-based foods. But one thing that does get me is mm. what I call the ultra-processed vegan food and vegetarian food, where it's trying to ape the meat, what it's meant to look like and the taste and texture of it. In one sense, I suppose, if you're a recent vegan or vegetarian, then you're still craving that textural bit, but I think also what's nice is to play up the amazing flavours and the mm. amazing textures of the vegetables and fruits themselves. Why not? You know, things like pulled jackfruit. You don't need to pretend it's chicken. It's got a brilliant texture of its own. Yeah. Yeah. I used to live with a vegetarian stroked vegan who ate all of that sort of stuff. Fake bacon and things like that. The smell of this product was horrible. But this was 20-odd years ago. And yes. that's the important point, isn't it? Because... Um, we were just talking before the program started. Uh, I was trying some plant-based chicken, and it was really good. I was so impressed at the texture, the taste, the feel of it. It, it was pretty convincing. I'd say it was like 80 90% there. I would have been happy eating that if I'd have gone to some friend's house and that's what they were offering, yeah. Yeah, and I tried some vegan parmesan recently on some lovely creamy garlicky mushrooms and I was really surprised what a lovely taste and texture it had. Okay, yeah. it wasn't parmesan, yeah. but it sort of pretended to be. So perhaps I shouldn't be quite so scathing. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the council are going to stick to their guns and they're going to go for 75% plant-based food at this year's annual full council meeting. Perhaps they'll get a little bit more success next time. Or perhaps, you know, there's still valid reasons why some people are still against the idea. Mm. Well, in other news, Cambridge Sustainable Food are hosting a webinar on the 6th of March and it's called Growing Food for Resilience. And these are stories from community gardens responding to the cost of living crisis. We have a few community gardens in Cambridge and have reported on them over the years, such as the lovely empty common community garden down Brooklands Avenue and more recently, Co Farm on Balmwell Road. Again, all available on our podcasts. Quick plug. And yes, community gardens contribute to local food banks, box schemes. They're great to work on. They're good for wildlife. The webinar is free to view, but you do need to book. And to do that, you need to register on their site, sustainweb org events. And you'll see that they've got plenty of other interesting webinars, classes and workshops to help you be a much better custodian of the planet. Good stuff. That's all the news for now. We're heading off for a quick break, but we will be back with a visit to a new Italian deli, explore some childhood food memories, uh, there'll be more news, Twitter news and jobs. Don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. 
Every Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio, Chris Brown presents Cambridge's original Saturday Night Soul Show. It's a fantastic thing. I'm Cambridge bred and born, and so I present my show and play my soul and dance music in Cambridge. People that listen to my show, then they'll go out to one of my gigs, and when I get there, people will say, oh, that track you played on your show, can you play it tonight? It's like a gang, if you like, that I've got on a Saturday night of soul fans. Chris Brown's soul and dance show, Saturdays at 6 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services is your local award-winning decorating business with a great reputation. Our professional and friendly team can cover all aspects of decorating for domestic, commercial and industrial properties. So whether it's a bedroom makeover or an entire office block that needs repainting, we'll get the job done on budget and on time. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services to see pictures of our work. Or call us today on 07794 516 291. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour, the food and drink programme. Our next feature is about a deli in Chesterton Road. It's called La Dispenser. It's run by Tristan and Christina. And I caught up with Tristan one evening as he was slicing up some orders for customers and he showed me around their new shop. One of the most rewarding things is when you get a customer that asks for something where they might have had it when they were in Italy 20 years ago and it just brings back those memories. And when you say yes, you see their faces and that's just something so rewarding. I think that also reflects what we like to do here at the dispenser. This study started between my business partners and myself. We've been working together nearly eight years in an Italian restaurant. Myself, not being Italian, I learned a lot about Italian culture. Over the years, we came up with ideas. We should open a deli. And we just started looking for places around Cambridge. This seemed like the right location. This area is up and coming. There's loads of new places opening nearby. With our main focus being on the display counter with all the sliced meats and charcuterie, something that's quite common in Italy, which isn't so common here, that is bringing in Italians from Cambridge because they miss this type of shop. To my knowledge, I think there's maybe only one or two other places in Cambridge. I think just one that does slicing the meats in front of you and represents what like an Italian salumerio alimentari would be. Could you say that again, please? (laughs) (laughs) Alimentari shops sell what we're selling here. In the English culture, we're not so used to, you know, the sliced meats being done like whereas in like the Mediterranean, they'd have these counters in supermarkets. Like imagine going into, say, Tesco's and they'd have the same charcuterie we would have here, the cheeses, and they'd slice and cut everything for you to order. I think slowly, slowly, these types of shops in England are becoming more popular. There's a lot of foodies in Cambridge as well, which also helps. If there's so much space in here as well, That is a bit of a trend at the moment, like open spaces. In my mind, overcrowded feels like an old shop, whereas like newer shops, it's more like clean, laid out clearly. It was a challenge opening the shop because the shop's a little bit narrow, but it's quite long. How the shop's set up now, I believe, is perfect. Big windows, looking onto the counter. We make fresh like pasta on Wednesdays. So people walk by, they can see you making the pasta, you're cutting the meats. Yeah, bring fresh to this area. So here we are, the cold face, I suppose. This is the large chiller, full of authentic Italian meats. Mortadella is one of our most popular sliced meats at the moment. You wouldn't say it's like a, a prosciutto, like a parma ham or culatello. 
But the fact that it's so simple in taste, this is a type of sliced meat that if you go to the supermarket and you find it very rarely, yeah. it's normally sliced quite thick and it's got a whole different taste when you slice it on the machine, fresh and very thin, it melts in your mouth. We also have guanciale, very popular at the moment because a lot of cooking programs are using guanciale instead of pancetta as you would in Italy to make carbonara. You wouldn't find guanciale in the supermarket. We've also got four or five different types of ham from like prosciutto di Parma, prosciutto di San Daniele, to like Spanish jamón serrano. So we also have a little bit of Spanish uh, products in the shop as well. So yeah. You know, whenever a certain cut of meat is shown on a cookery program that particular week, yes. there'll be a boost in demand. Do you notice things like that since you've opened here? There's the recent program, is it Stanley Tucci? Well, he went to Italy. After, I think, a few of his episodes, we did have a lot of people coming in asking for certain things they'd seen him do on the program. So, like, some days, yeah, I'll go back to the, the guanciale. Some days you'll, you'll have so many people coming in to buy guanciale, and then next day you won't have as many. You sort of think in the back of your mind, why, why was it so popular yesterday? And, like, next day someone comes in and says, oh, yeah, because I, I saw something on the TV about guanciale. And you're like, oh, maybe that was because it was so, so popular that day. So I think... Italian food is very present in food programs online, on TV and everything, and I think that is a positive thing for an Italian deli. And how is it going for you so far? Yeah, we're very happy, very happy. Everyone's really friendly. I like it that we have like a big table. We're not like a cafe. We do we'd serve coffee, sandwiches, cakes, you can sit in. Mm. But what I like the most is when people come in, they sit here for two hours, three hours, and. They're comfortably chatting away, even while there's loads of people coming in, you're cutting the meat, and they, they just sit there for three hours. And I like that they can come to the deli and think, oh, this is a place where I can just sit and relax, not worry about anything, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm just about to slice some mortadella for a customer. You cut it thin like tissue paper. This is a fairly new thing we've just set up recently, so just with the sliced meats and cheeses so far. So yeah, on Thursdays, uh, we get a weekly delivery of fresh fruits and vegetables from Italy, all seasonal. Lemons from the Amalfi Coast, oranges, aubergines from Sicily. And we also get Schimmelerappa and Fiorelli, which are key in this time of year. They're in season. A lot of Italians, especially from the South, Puglia, Naples, enjoy cooking. Bringing these to Cambridge has made a lot of people happy, and that reflects exactly what we'd like to do, like make people happy with the food. We get a lot of people that they ring up and they ask if we've got something. If we do this, oh, can I order this? And I'll come and pick it up later. So we also do that. Going to focus on office catering type things as well, for like when we have like lunches, like sliced meats and cheeses and this types of stuff. Mm. My business partner's son is celiac, so we really understand the importance of the cross-contamination between products. It's, it's something that we've noticed a lot. Gluten-free, vegan products, they're so popular, whether it's in cafes up and down Mill Road, Hills Road, even down in the markets. They're very concerned about making sure that the cakes and the delicacies they sell are also gluten and vegan options, and they fly off the stalls. Yeah, well, in, in the last few years, gluten-free stuff has got so much better. Most of the products we have in the deli at the moment are naturally gluten-free, so... A lot of times people don't realise that a lot of stuff doesn't have gluten in anyway. You also sell things like lasagna and quiche. Yeah, this part of the fridge we cook dishes every day. Something we make every day is the homemade pesto. 
difference is crazy between the jarred stuff. But yeah, we make um, melanzana parmigiana, we do lasagnas, we do frittata, sometimes we cook some sea bass. We make soupli, which are simitalancini, on the Wednesday evening. We cooked beef ragu, yeah. so everything was ready for the Thursday. So when the customers come in, pick up some ragu, fresh homemade pasta as well. As the dinner sorted, everything homemade with, with a lot of passion and a lot of care for the procedures. The good thing about having a long shop like this is we can have little hidden areas at the back. So I'll take you a bit further down to our hidden wine room in here. We stock a selection of uh, Italian and Spanish wines and beers as well. Oh yeah. Our main focus is to bring wines that aren't sold in the supermarket, uh, aren't sold at places like Majestic Wines. Yeah. And I think that's just another reflection of what we like to do, where quality is better than quantity. Well, that about wraps it up for this brief tour around La Dispensa. What's the number of this shop? 52 Chesterton Road. If you're coming uh, from, say, Midsummer Commons and Jesus Green across the bridge, up onto Mitchum's Corner, you take a right and be on the row of shops there just before the end. Lovely. Thanks very much, Tristan. Thank you. And you're listening to Flavor on Cambridge 105, and that's another customer. Cheers, man. Thank you. You know, they make uh, egg pasta linguine fresh every Wednesday. Other specialties like the delicate and sweet Toma Piemontese mountain cheese to the finest Italian Prosecco. There was a phrase, a quote, actually, that someone wrote on their Facebook page, the best place to have Italian food in Cambridge, said Antonella Mayo on La Dispensa's Facebook page. And perhaps you will agree. I'm going to check them out. Wow. <laughs> Time for a bit more news now, beginning with wine. Gutter and Stars in French's Road or Victoria Road has begun twice-monthly wine tastings at the winery's windmill. On 23rd of February, there's a single vineyard expressions, five wines each with grapes from a single vineyard. This will include an Essex Chardonnay, an Oxfordshire Ortega and a Clare Valley Riesling. Market House in Market Square has its next tasting on the 1st of March and it will be of English sparkling wines and the tasting will be accompanied by English artisan cheeses. So, there's going to be six wines. It will begin at 6pm. It lasts for 90 minutes. Cost of £55. This month's tasting flight at the Cambridge Wine Merchants is of Ribera del Duro wines. There are 50 milliliter samples of four different wines from the region and the cost is £14. Tastings are available at any time from the Bridge Street and Cherry Hinton Road branches. There's no need to book. At the wine rooms in Hills Road on the 16th of February, there is a tasting of Chinon wines from the Loire. There will be a range of vintages from 2007 to 2014. Starting at 7pm, the cost is £30. On the 22nd of February, there is a special Argentinian menu and wine nights with tables, both at 6pm and 8pm. And on the 22nd of March, there is a special New Zealand menu and wine night. And the cost for each of those special nights, £60 per person. At Thirsty in Chesterton Road on the 15th of February, there is a guided tasting with Case Bubberman, with five of his Dutch beers on tap, including the rare style Icebook and a new Imperial Stout. The evening begins at 7.30 and tickets will be available soon. Cambridge Sustainable Foods website has a really helpful page if you or someone you know needs emergency food access. So what is emergency food access? It's food banks 
community food hubs, even warm spaces. It's a list of places that are available around town every day of the week, including weekends, such as the Meadows Community Centre. On Mondays, they do free breakfasts. Or the Cambridge Community Kitchen, who on Sundays do free, hot, plant-based meals to anybody who needs them. Cambridge Sustainable Foods website is really good for gathering all this information together. No clicking around dozens of pages, it's all just there in one place, neatly presented, as well as plenty of other good local food information. This is a website well worth checking out. Well, if you now know and love Amelie's food in the Grafton Centre, you may be interested to know that they have a bit of a residency at the Cookery and Bistro off Hills Road behind the Sixth Form College. They were recently tweeting about their strawberry and blueberry cream patisseries. The cafe is open Wednesday to Sundays, 9 till 2. And now here's a date for you. Well, it's actually a week. It's Love Cambridge Restaurant Week. It's back. And it's going to be running from Monday the 13th to Thursday the 23rd of March. So more like a week and a half, really. Restaurant Week is about helping you discover new places by enjoying set menus at discounted prices. So if you go to the website love-cambridge.com, forward slash restaurant week you'll see all the cafes and restaurants in the city who are taking part i counted roughly 35 places and you can get things like a cheeseburger or a veggie burger and fries from steak and honor along with ice cream from jack's gelato all for 15 pounds and how about over at the bagel box on the cambridge market you could get yourself any filled bagel with drink and crisps or cookie for five pounds while stocks last, subject to availability, of course. But some great deals there, and you can check them all out at once on love-cambridge.com forward slash restaurant week. And here's one more. The Edge Cafe, located near the end of the Mill Road Mile, has a well-being walk on the second Thursday of every month. Starting at the cafe, they take you up to Co-Farm Community Farm on Barmore Road. And Maria, who leads the group walk, will fill you in on all the details about the cafe, the community farm, and what links the two and their food sustainability. And that's all the news for today. Okay. Well, the other day I was going through some recordings and I found something that I had kept aside for a rainy day. This is a snippet. It's from Vaz, and he owns the Gardenia on Rose Crescent, and he was talking about the food of his childhood. When we were small, when we were little, we love food sort of thing. Me, I used to love custard when I was little. Custard with cinnamon. But my mum used to tell me, I say, why you don't have that every day, mum? You say, this is a treat. You cannot have this every day. But when we grow up, we forget all these things. Why? I found out one day, like, I can afford custard now. So I take custard with a lot of cinnamon, and I leave it to set for, like, 20 minutes. Then I have custard every day now, because that's what I like. You know? But we like some food when we're little that we forget about. Like, my mom used to put chickpeas from the night in the water to become soft in order to cook the next day. And before I go to school, I used to go there to grab a fistful of chickpeas. And my mom used to chase me, you know. And uh, now, sometimes I put chickpeas in the water from the night, and in the morning, I put a little bit of salt, and they're so lovely to eat. And it's full of protein, full of protein. I tell you, they keep you all day. A fistful of chickpeas, you can put it in your pocket in a plastic bag, and either as you go along, and they give you big pleasure. So 
What do you like when you're young? Just remember them. And you can do them now. Because they're not expensive. And they give you great pleasure. So remember, the things you forgot, just bring them up again. Because now, you are the mom, you are the dad. <laughs> you can afford them, and you can put the effort to satisfy your taste with little things, little things. This is the pleasure of life. <laughs> I love Vaz's voice. It's really great. So expressive. Uh, Sue, do you have any stories of things that you used to eat when you were young or things that other people have told you of, of their food habits? Well, it's interesting. I love the idea of the chickpeas, which she had. And, and I only came to chickpeas, you know, if you like, relatively recently. Mm. One thing I remember is disgusting, um, which I had to have every day in the sort of late 60s, was cod liver oil, a spoonful of it every day. Oh. I mean, now you have it in capsules, but having it out of a spoon, blech, you had to have something nice afterwards <laughs> to take the taste away. Oof, not nice. Mm. And then I remember... Things such as Vesta curries. And the Vesta curry was this, if you like, early convenience food that, you know, working mums in the sort of 70s in particular would would decide this was one of these new things that, that you could have and give your children. I remember the curly, crispy noodles when you cooked them <laughs> in the pan that as children we were absolutely delighted in seeing them bubble up. It was It was fascinating. It was sort of new foreign food, if you like. Yeah, I, I had to look up Vesta curries online, and they're still sold today, apparently. But one person said they're about as authentic as a £12 note, these Vesta curries. But they tasted okay in their own right. He mentioned things like, you know, you would get sultanas in these curries and uh, the various flavours. You mentioned chow mein with crispy noodles. Oh, yes, indeed, yeah. yeah. And I remember my mum putting sultanas in the curries because that was the thing that somehow it wasn't an authentic curry, but it was a sort of let's have a go at doing it. And other things that I remember... Well, I, I remember buying sumac from Arjuna hmm. in the 80s. And, you know, I, I did not know quite what it was, but it sounded interesting. I think I'd read it in a recipe book, sort of lemony flavour. But I never got around to, to using it because, you know, Google wasn't around then to say all the things you could use it for. It was a bit weird, isn't it? Blimey, it's, yes, you were stuck. Yeah, absolutely so. I mean, I don't have any particular food memories of my own as a child, but I do remember my dad telling me that he said he used to have uh, sugar sandwiches regularly, him and his brothers and sisters, Ooh. as a way of like cheap energy and just keeping going through the day because they'd be booted out in the morning and told not oh. to come back until the evening. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, Ooh. yeah, that's Ooh. what happens. And I had a neighbour in Wales. He used to eat a big tablespoonful of malt every day. Tried to get me to do it too. I tried it a couple of times. That's um, that's tough going. Oh, a bit like cod liver oil. No, I mean, on my website, cambridgefoodies.co.uk, <laughs> I've got some really interesting sort of childhood memories and eating food for the first time in France, trying snails when I was 12. And wow, you know, food memories are amazing, aren't they? They are. I've never tried a snail. What's it like? A bit bouncy. Bouncy. <laughs> bouncy is the garlic you want. <laughs> Oh, well, should we move on to some Twitter news then? I think we should. OK. Yeah, of course, that's our regular Twitter news. And here is Sue with the first piece. A little Valentine's piece. The Alex Pub on Gwida Street is offering a two-course dinner for two served with a Kiraial cocktail during the 13th and 14th of Feb. Say it with dinner is their tagline. You definitely need to book, though, which can be done via email, info at thealex.com. 
Cambridge Community Kitchen are a local collective tackling food poverty in the city. They tweeted just recently to say if you know anybody who needs free hot meals delivered three times a week, they can help. Just go to cckitchen.uk and click the button Request Meals. The popular Raspberry Ripple Cider is available once more at Thirsty on Chesterton Road. And Biscotti di Debra, she has been tweeting like mad over the past few days, just checking to see if you're ready for Valentine's because her business is, well, it's geared towards this. It's bespoke Italian celebration cakes. That means light and fluffy fresh cakes filled with cream as well as she makes petit fours and croque bouche, uh, all gluten-free. We last interviewed her about four years ago. Her cakes are very popular, incredibly stylish, and they're perfect for Valentine's. Sue, did you... You dealt with... Well, yes, um, for our daughter's wedding, which was now, gosh, three years ago, just before lockdown, my daughter ordered the most amazing meringue-based cake from her and all these little cakes to go with it. It was absolutely dreamy, amazing. Highly recommend her. She's superb. <laughs> it's so impressive seeing these... Um, individual the quality of the product they make both with deborah and george heifer who i think you find him out at st ives that's right yes. he does incredible cakes yes, too yes but i'd say it's the care as much as anything else it's mm. it's amazing mm. and another tweet last tweet midsummer house have tweeted to say come and spend mothering sunday with our four course menu which you can do via their website midsummerhouse.co.uk and that's the last of our twitter for today <laughs> And that is Green Onions, of course, signalling the start of our job section, and Cuco Communications, the public relations agency with close connections to the Cambridge food scene, is recruiting a social media manager. If you'd like to apply or get more information, just email hello at kuko, that's K-U-C-O dot agency. An executive and a head chef is needed at Wagamama. There's a six-week training program when you start. Perks include a potential bonus of 8K per year and a 30% discount on the food. A chef is also needed to work at the Centennial Hotel. This job is split shifts, including weekend work and pay is £16 an hour. Cambridge Sustainable Food are looking for a food centre coordinator at their centre in the Abbey. The centre receives stores and sends out surplus and donated food to the food hubs, as well as delivering free community meals and holiday lunches. You'll meet lots of people and save lots of food from the rubbish bin. Training is on the job. The position is 20 hours per week and at £14 per hour. And if you'd like to get involved, then email sam at cambridgesustainablefood.com. Hot Numbers currently has vacancies for an assistant manager at their Gwydia Street branch and at the Roastery in Shepworth, as well as positions uh, for a head baker and an artisan baker at the Shepworth Roastery as well. So if those sound good to you, then send an email with your CV and a covering letter to admin at hotnumberscoffee.co.uk. A commie chef is required at Sodexo in Cambridge near the train station. It's full-time and full training is provided. You'll get discounted gym membership, a cycle-to-work scheme and 50% off cinema tickets. Pay is £12.35 per hour. So to apply, just head online to sodexojobs.co.uk. That's S-O-D-E-X-O 
jobs.co.uk. And finally, Cambridge Brewhouse on King Street need bar and restaurant staff. If you're interested, just send them a message via their Instagram account. Their name on Instagram is, and this is all one word, The Cam Brew House. And that is Charlotte for the news today. <laughs> well, the jobs today, actually. <laughs> all of which brings us to the end of today's programme. And you can catch Flavour on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And of course, Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is The Gadget Guide with Rob and Lawrence and at 2pm it's Sue Marchant's selection. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 25th of February with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. And so until then, goodbye. goodbye.